0: Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplug, the Cyber Theory podcast, where we explore issues that matter in the world
1: of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. This is Steve King, the managing director of Cyber Theory, and I am welcome you to another podcast today with uh, Nick Chalant. He's the first Chief Software Officer for the United States Air Force and Space Force as well, and a former Special Advisor for. Cloud Security and DevSecOps at the Department of Defense within the office of the Secretary of Defense. Um, Nick was also the former special advisor for cybersecurity and chief architect for Cyber.gov at the Department of Homeland Security. In addition to that, and prior to that government service, Nick was a serial entrepreneur and senior C-level executive with over 22 years of Domestic and international experience, strong technical and subject matter expertise in innovation, security, software development, in particular governance, risk management, and so forth. And has been recognized one of France's youngest entrepreneurs after founding the company World at the age of 15, no less, to pioneer the use of the PHP programming language. Now, I could go on for a while here describing Nick's accomplishments, but well, suffice to say that the U.S. government no longer has the pleasure of his company. We do instead. So welcome, Nick. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Sure. That's great. Let's, let's jump right in here. We're, uh, I wanted to get your perspective on a couple of things that you have a unique perspective on, having most recently been involved with many uh, alphabet agencies that we know and love. We're engaged in a war in Eastern Europe, I think, right now, right? And even though our apparent direct involvement has been limited, what, in your estimation, might we be doing differently? And what's the likely end result of all of this? And, and most importantly, what do we have to do to end it?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been a lot of lessons learned. You know, I'm afraid a little bit that uh, some of the Pentagon leaders are starting to use the fact that Russia is not able to take over. Ukraine, like uh, we had predicted in a, in, a, in a week, to start saying that uh, maybe we have over- overestimated uh, Russia, but also probably China as well, to start being even more complacent, reducing the eagerness to innovate in the department. And so that's uh, that's a very concerning thought, because uh, as you know, China is slightly different from Russia. Also, Russia is not obviously using all of their arsenal to go after uh, Ukraine. And uh, that's obviously very different from what you would see in uh, other kind of uh, circumstances. And so that's something to pay attention to. You know, the, the cyber offense side has not been really leveraged, uh, mostly because they know, and they, we've seen it in the past, you know, back in 2017, when uh, Russia went after the critical infrastructure and uh, with Petya, and that spread to the US companies costing billions of damages Ah, uh, both to to European companies and and uh, American companies, uh, they know that they don't want to give excuses both to Europe and to uh, America uh, for them to get even more involved in this uh, world. and so they're they're now using a lot of the capabilities that often can have a ripple effect right across nations uh, by accident, really, and so that's limiting their their options. Of course, there's also. Uh, the fact that uh, you know many of the Russian people are not fully invested and excited about this uh, this war, so uh, you, you see uh, also the, the fact that uh, Russia has tremendous issues with basic capabilities involving communications, which uh, put their troops at risk. And uh, quite honestly, every time we did uh, some type of war room scenario with China in, uh, attacking Taiwan, we were we were also very much on the same boat. Uh, where we lost communications after twenty four hours is in most use cases that we predicted, so you know communications is is tough right because there is a lot of jamming capabilities, a lot of ways to disrupt and so what you see right now is of course the fact that uh, mostly due to the to what happened in Afghanistan and the debacle of uh, uh, leaving uh, that way with uh, no accountability, no one really uh, taking uh, any kind of Proper action during that uh, debacle, uh, you see now Russia eager more than ever to continue the fight and very much not too scared about this uh, current, current administration. That compounds the problem, of course, with what's happening uh, in Ukraine. And, and you know, we keep obviously giving uh, more money, more more capabilities, more war fighting capabilities, which is probably also why they are still able to fight back. You know, people keep saying, "Well, you know." Russia should have been able to uh take over Ukraine in a week, well, sure, but we also gave them billions of uh of weapons to keep fighting you know uh without that i I would bet they would be uh long gone by
1: now and so why are we doing that
0: well, I think uh you know I guess the, the administration believes we should be uh involved and uh we should be uh, uh providing uh uh weapons to stop uh you know the 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 Russians from uh getting further into uh, ukraine and uh you know, there's there's a whole debate about, you know, most people don't really understand that uh, Ukraine is not the democracy we believe it is. You know, it always uh, kind of cracks me up when I saw that the LGBTQ community of the United States added the, the, the American flag of uh, the Ukrainian flag colors on their flags, uh, all praying to realize that uh, Ukraine does not allow gay uh, marriage. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I that's know it's interesting. You know, I know. Well, uh, but people, you know, people are not educated, right? They don't know where all this stuff is happening. They they just hear the the the, the main media narrative, right? They, they don't know the history. They don't travel. You know, that's part of the issue. Unfortunately, right? We don't we don't see enough people. You know, enough people trained to get to the bottom of things without just listening to the news. You know, so
1: or something, you know, because it wasn't that long ago, what, three, four years ago, that, you know, it was clear to everybody on the planet that Ukraine's uh, government was corrupt and and uh, nefarious and, you know, self-serving. And uh, and then we went from that profile to this current profile, which is, you know, very sympathetic, very underpowered and in need of help and and all of that stuff. So, they did some, you know, from a PR point of view, I guess they did something right in there. But I, I don't know how we got from A to B and why we forgot that these guys, you know, for a billion bucks would you know, sell, sell their mother down the stream. So I don't see, you know, and and I mean, I understand why Putin wants to continue this because he's quickly becoming the richest man in the world during all of this. I have given his holdings in the oil and gas industry and what it's forced uh, Europe to do. You have to wonder what's in it for us here and why we continue to keep sort of, you know, walking that thin wire between giving lots of stuff and giving almost as much stuff as they need, you know.
0: Very dangerous, right? Because there they might be a point where Russia starts to to think of it as uh, us being actively part of the, the engagement and uh, still, you know, attacking us as well. And uh, that's probably the last thing you want. So there's there's a fine line that's been pretty crossed already. I think Vladimir Putin very much know that uh, he doesn't want to fight too many fights at once. Otherwise, he would probably have already taken more significant action, even against some of the European countries. As you know, you know they are so dependent on on uh, Russian energy, which is exactly why you know we're so concerned here uh, with China, particularly. When it comes to the the dependency we have on uh, pretty much everything, from uh, basic supply chain things to uh, not even being able to produce penicillin in the United States any longer, having to buy masks, you know, during the pandemic, to directly from China after they created it, you know, it's kind of um,
1: pretty uh, laughable, you know. So, yeah, and soon to be chips.
0: You've seen the chips, also, you know. Of course, I've been pushing for years you know, to wake up the government on the on the lack of access to american supply chain for chips uh, taiwan being the 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 second producer of chips you know china directly forcing now with companies like apple telling uh, their producers in taiwan to uh, relabel their their chips to say china made in china so they can be shipped to china so then they can be put into the freaking iPhones we love to buy Every year, despite the fact that they can't bring any new features to life and we keep spending, uh, you know, a thousand bucks a pop for no reason, you know, made in sweatshops in China and China now mandating Taiwan, you know, to uh, to swap their their labels so they can be imported into China, uh, effectively letting them win the fight already just by, uh, you know, basic custom restrictions. You know, that's pretty concerning.
1: Yeah, it doesn't appear as though either country has much respect for this current administration or fear of reprisal, I guess, would be a better way to put that.
0: It's a pretty foul uh, thing to say.
1: On a, Yeah. On a different front, directly related to cybersecurity, a lot of people in our community have been you know, applauding Biden's executive orders and what they characterize as decisive action on cybersecurity protocols. But some of us don't see much actual progress. As Has this been all just a theatrical exercise? And when, if ever, do you anticipate some changes coming out of the White House or the Pentagon?
0: Well, I was part of the team that helped create and write some of the language and stuff. And, and it, you know, all executive orders are all just unfunded mandates. So by definition, they're going to be a whole bunch of of nothing. But, you know, it, it is a fo- forcing function. You see already Congress starting to fund some of the Zero Trust work, some of the software build of material work. So it is a forcing function. It doesn't happen overnight. But it is creating some momentum. Particularly what I've seen is uh, several commercial companies now getting more and more excited about the market. Providing services, providing uh, software solutions, and more importantly, some of the companies selling software having to start waking up to look at their current cyber poster. Uh, you know, it's it's just mind boggling to me. And you know, I sit on many boards of companies innovating, and some other. You know, I've during my time as a as a chief software officer, I've I've accessed uh, about a thousand open source and commercial software bits. Uh, all to see way too many times, particularly in ci- cyber products, funny enough, products with hundreds of CVs and very little uh, work done to proactively address them. Uh, you would think a cyber company would know better, but uh, uh, they have no problem sending you their cyber capabilities, alleged uh, alleged capabilities, all to create more risk in your network at the same time. And you know, with this executive order, I've started to see at least people be like, well, if we're going to have to provide the list of CVs and dependencies and issues we have, uh, maybe we won't be able to get away with stuff anymore. So um, we already see a big move to start addressing it. And it's kind of the the beauty of of the government nowadays, right? The government is so incapable of of getting things done and not wasting you know 90 cents on the dollar. It's better at the end of the day to let the commercial companies figure it out. But the government needs to be some sort of a forcing function. The issue is way too often the, the language and the law or, or the, the requirements are way too stringent or stuck in time and still to end up creating trying to solve problems all to effectively make the problem worse or you know try to bring solutions that are that are way too complex or cumbersome to set in place and creating more problems than they're solving.
1: Yeah. So a question for you who've been in it now intimately for several years. We've been talking about sharing information sharing and shared information and so forth among the private and public sector for a long, long time, right? And it hasn't happened and if there ever was a time for a whole of state, if you will, initiative or solution to to become activated, uh, now would seem to be that time. Is there anything like that going on uh, behind the agency doors that we're just unaware of that you can share
0: yeah so i gotta say dhs used to really be really bad at at their job and for years it's not a an administration thing to be fully honest right i gotta say though with the recent appointees by the white house uh they stepped up the game and and despite you know the fact that uh, i'm a conservative the fact is uh they I also recognize good work. And and the fact is the new leadership at uh, CISA has been able to bring some progress. I mean, it's not where we want to be, but I've seen definitive progress when it comes to both the adoption of zero trust and, and the ability to start sharing threat intel. The issue remains the fact that uh, DoD overclassify everything, right? We don't know how to decouple the who and the what. And so we're gonna end up overclassifying the whole thing and, and to, to make information available for consumption both ways. Uh we end up, you know, creating way too much work. Uh there's no automation. It's a very manual process that's by definition gonna create massive bottlenecks, which in turn make it so that uh, the threat intel is worthless because by the time you have it in the system, it's already out of date and, and useless. Right. So uh they they have improved drastically compared to what it used to be. It's certainly, you know, still very far from what I would have done or or what I would want to see. But I think the key now is going to be about automating the decoupling of what's classified and what's not classified in terms of the indicators and making it clear that, uh, by the way, if something has a very limited lifespan, why do we even classify it to begin with if we know it's going to be obsolete by the time you're done typing your email? It's just stuff we need to think about,
1: you know? I'm sure that was one of the frustrations uh, that you had uh, coming from private to industry into the public sector like this. Can you characterize some of the other reasons that drove you to um, ultimately resign your post?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Because this job was the most infuriating and, and the most frustrating ever. But at the same time, it was also the most rewarding and impactful I have ever had in my life, particularly since I had kids. And I started to realize how bad the situation was compared to what we're we're told, particularly when it comes to China and the fact that uh, they had no fighting chance uh, that my kids and your kids and your grandkids to to win against China 20 years from now. The urgency was very tangible for me when I started having kids, right when I started at, at the DoD. And that made it very real and real to the point where I was losing sleep, right? Because you're like, well, you know, we're talking, we're bringing solutions, we're demonstrating we can do this with a very small group of people to move the behemoth that is DOD and finally you know, get some wins. But yet, the department talks the talks and they, they refuse to make it the, the way to do business. And so it's an anecdotal compared to how much money we spent, in the depo- we spent in the department. And the money is still massively wasted on the wrong things with the wrong waterfall, outdated, anti-agile process. With the same lot of primes that don't know how to get things done with very little oversight and, and massive conflict of interest with government people, you know, ended up leaving their job to go work for the same prime they just awarded billions of dollars of taxpayer money to, right? So it's, uh, it's a lot of different things. One is, you know, I was excited with all the results we got. We saved 100 years of time in one year moving to DevSecOps. That's a massive win just with 27 programs. I always argue maybe we didn't save a hundred year, we just didn't waste a hundred year of time, and so that's that's something to think about, right? Because China is definitely embracing agility, and of course they have less uh, bureaucracy and constraint, and they can force their companies to do business with them. But what was also pretty scary is all the the you know they, there's definitely a DoD bubble, but there's also a massive uh, Silicon Valley bubble, right? A lot of these people live in in the Kumbaya, parallel universe, where it seems they don't realize uh, that uh, the freedom they enjoy is, is thanks to the deterrence and the the, the sacrifices made by the warfighter. and they are becoming kind of anti military, refusing to engage and collaborate uh, with us on all innovations, and and then you see you know companies, particularly in AI, show up and and you know try to uh, get some of the large chunk of fundings of, mm. of DoD, but tell you at the same time, well, we're willing to take your money, but only if it's on the business side of DoD. We're not going to take your money if it's on the weapon side. So I'm like, well, if you don't believe in the mission, why are you taking any money? <laughs> you know, it yeah. seems a little convenient, yeah. you know, to, to decide when you want it and when you don't want it. Even for things like, hey, you know, we're going to use satellite imagery to recognize objects better. So we don't make the same mistake we made when we bombed the bus in Afghanistan, killing a bunch of kids. All because we have humans watching stuff when all this stuff could be automated through you know AI, so we can bet- make better decisions, more insights. So it's it's also about saving lives. Right? It's not just about killing people, right? And people kind of miss the point, and, and so that's very frustrating, right? I, I would go to conferences in in California and you know attract a massive crowd, twenty five hundred people, whatever, and be the largest of the KubeCon you know conference for Cubans and stuff like that. And then you would always have people waiting you know to shake hands and stuff, like always and and always in the group, you have five, six of them waiting in line just to tell me they won't shake my hand because it's covered in blood and that she's gonna have to go spend time in the puppy room because she's traumatized for the rest of the day and And you know you know you're messed up as a nation when you you start having puppy rooms in in conferences, you know that's a pretty <laughs> good sign, yeah. that something is going wrong,
1: right, right.
0: So, you know, it's 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 a lot of things, right? It's the leadership talking and never getting things done. They appointed me as the, the chief software officer for the joint staff for the joint all-domain command and control, which is kind of this largest uh, engagement in the world of uh, Internet of Things, connecting all the weapons together to create a, you know, kind of the uh, ultimate warfighting capability that's directly pushed by, by the Secretary of Defense and, and Def. And all we were asking was 30 million bucks to get the MVP, the minimal viable product done. They couldn't find the money after six months. You know, say, yeah, we, we're going to have to wait 2023. And that's where that's where they they kind of frustrated me. You know, they, they told me, hey, we want to bring you in and you have six months to do it. And in three months, we got half of it done. And then they couldn't get the rest of the money. And then they're like, well, we're going to wait a year. <laughs> I'm like, you, you asked me to do it in six months. You know, we're three months in. I know you're telling me you have, I'm going to wait a year for money for 15 million, which is like a rounding error for the department. Like, what kind of joke
1: is this? You know, (laughs) there has to be 50 Uh, million around somewhere,
0: right? Uh, It's it's a rounding error for the department. Uh, The the fact is, what was happening is we had so much success with so little money and so much tangible value brought to life, both in Zero Trust. We did the largest uh, Zero Trust implementation in, in the department, we did the largest DevSecOps implementation in the department. We did the largest cloud uh, contract where Jedi couldn't get anything done for, for years, even to today. Cloud One was a billion dollars a year, all done in under a year. And we have it up and running now for f- five years. So, you know, we, we got so much stuff done. We still a little money, but with a different model, right? The government was the integration office. So, no prime, right? Uh, we had primes as subs, effectively. So, we had you know, 37 contracts, uh, companies effectively on on contract Uh, on platform one, for example, the government was the integration office. And that's a very different model, right? Where uh, we have diversity of talent, we have diversity of options. We have the ability for the government to make decisions rapidly and, and in an agile fashion. We buy capacity of work. We don't buy requirements stuck in time, right? So it's a very agile contract and we could really get stuff done. But but my my bet, if you if you ask me, is that so many of the primes complained to to Secdef and DepSecDef that we were not buying the usual legacy way of of big primes where you give them requirements for five years and then you end up, you know, 10 years later with nothing to show for it. They they didn't like the fact that they were losing some of the the grip on, on the budget and that if, if we were able to demonstrate we could do something like Jet C2 with that email with a few people in the government and and a bunch of contractors they would be then you know question about the rest of the funding they're getting uh, of the eight, 800 billion we're spending in in defense every year
1: now, those are certainly good reasons what was your alternative if you were going to stick around for a year what would you do during that year that they've recommended
0: well, that's the thing too, right? I was a chief software officer for the Air Force and Space Force, and I took this extra uh, duty. I was already working 18 hour days, weekends. I mean, literally, I had two EAs, and they were like, you know, we've been working with SESs for 20 years. We never had anyone do a tenth of, of what you do. You know, uh, yeah. they couldn't keep up, you know, even with scheduling meetings, let alone me attending the meetings. You know? mm-hmm. And so I was completely, you know, I was never seeing my kids and stuff. So I was kind of getting frustrated. One, you know, okay, I felt the the pressure of China. Then I felt the pressure of like, hey, my kids are growing up. You know, I had no kids. Now I have three kids. I had twins. So, you know, what what's going on? I need to spend time with my kids. So I'm doing all this, all making all these sacrifices, you know. And now you're telling me this nonsense. Am I wasting my time? So I decided to, it was time for me to go back to my kids. And that really started to turn... When the new administration came in, right? So I was ready reporting to appointees, and then, quite honestly, it's not Secretary Kendall because Secretary Kendall is actually pretty good. But it, I think that the the lower tier of the, of the administration was mostly picked by checking boxes on gender and other things, and I I could already tell that competence and skills were not really part of that checklist, and so that that was pretty concerning, and that's where you know I felt like you know, if I'm not going to see my kids, it's better be for good reasons. And if that's not the case, then I should go back to my kids.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, being able to go publicly and and that's the thing, right? The new administration was telling me, Hey, you," cause I was already pretty vocal right on LinkedIn and stuff, but not as vocal as I am now, but you know, pretty vocal for a government person and also engaging with industry like no one else did, you know, doing ask me anything with a thousand people live and, answering questions live and, you know, really getting industry excited and engaged. And, you know, so we had great interactions with the industry and not just industry, the defense industrial base, but I'm talking also the, the real commercial companies outside of DoD, right, of the DoD bubble. And so, you know, I was always pretty vocal, but then the, the administration said, you know, you have to turn it, turn it down and stop engaging that much. And so that that kind of frustrated me. And, and, and so I felt, hey, if I leave, then I can I can be a little bit more, transparent, particularly when I felt like we are not disclosing enough to the uh, citizen how bad the situation is with China, if I'm able to, because we overclassify everything, but if I'm able to, obviously, without breaking the law, still raise awareness on what's going on and how bad it is, maybe I can get more people excited to join the fight and I can effectively be more more impactful on the outside than I am on the inside. Although I will be back in 2025, I'm sure, but uh, we shall see.
1: Yeah. I know that you believe, because, you know, we've talked before and you know what we're doing in the education front, that you believe that education is a a key component of our ability to continue to compete in these marketplaces. Speaking of China, you want to describe a little bit about, you know, what you did in DevSecOps for uh, the service. Can you begin, could you describe a little bit about what you're doing from a educational platform point of view? I think you're in the process of building one out.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I always realized pretty rapidly that, and, and very early when I started, in fact, you know, I don't have a degree, created my company at 15, like you mentioned. It's been pretty mind-boggling to see how much universities are charging all to get a an outdated set of uh, curriculums. You know, so when I left, even before I left, right, first I invested, you know, in the government. I was giving an hour a day to to my people to learn way. So we have about a hundred thousand software people in, in the department. Sixty billion probably spent on, on software, although we don't really have an exact number. So it's pretty. It's the largest organization on the planet. So IT and the pace of IT is so insane right now that uh, if you don't spend an hour a day at least to uh, to catch up and keep up, you're going to be so far behind. So. You know, I always felt like continuous learning was the answer. It cannot just be like, hey, we're going to send people to uh, some type of training for a week, and then they're going to come back magically, you know, top notch. And then we can wait another year before doing it again. That just makes no sense nowadays. And that's kind of also why duty is failing, right? That The velocity has changed such that, such that back in the day, you could get away with very slow cycles because you would miss stuff, but you wouldn't miss too much, right? But now it's so crazy in two, three years, right? If you take your your three, four years old phone, you're going to see what, I, what I'm what i talking about in terms of changes. We don't often realize how fast things change, particularly on the software side, right? And so I think it's pretty important to be able to keep up and enabling continuous learning. So we created the uh, several learning platforms by using commercial solutions like ProSci, you know, Coursera, the different content that we got online commercial content. And I always push the fact that, uh, you know, while the DoD mission is special, software is software, and we're not special when it comes to software. And just like SpaceX and others, we need to use best of breed commercial stuff and stop creating snowflakes and, you know, creating custom DoD nonsense that's only useful for DoD, which compounds the problem of the the bottlenecks and the, the size of the, the companies that can come and help you fix the challenges we're facing in software. And so we created you know, the, all this learning and, and stuff. And then when I left the government, I had a lot of universities reaching out to me and say, hey, we love what you've done. You know, a lot of banks, a lot of telcos, a lot of healthcare companies, of, can you come and you know, help us? If you could do it for a nuclear weapon, you can probably help us for a bank. You know." And so the universities, I said, well, you know, okay, I'm willing to do it, but uh, I want the content not to become stale like you always do. And, and so you have to update it every year. I oh no, we do five years. So I said, okay, well, can we at least meet in the middle and do three years? And they refused. And they only do five-year update of the curriculum. And I'm like, well, that's not going to fly for me. I'm not going to put my name next to something like this. It's a scam. And so I refuse. And I'm not talking about small universities. I'm talking about top-tier universities here. And so I walked away from the universities, but I still felt like, hey, you know, we need to catch up. China is teaching AI at seven years old, and they have now 112 million uh, science and technology uh, professionals—that's the third of the United States, for God's sake. You know, so we're in trouble. And so I really believe that uh, you know, learning is probably the least disrupted space. And so after trying to find the right fit with people that were before we met, in fact, right, I think it would have been different if we met a little bit before. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't, didn't know you guys at the time. So I said, "Hey, I'm going to create uh, my platform because I couldn't find someone to to do it." And so I created Learn with Nick, and we're launching this month. And you know, we have a lot of companies and and governments that uh, will get access, and and we're committed to updating the content every every year, but also adding more content every every other week, and and do a live Q and A session every other week with me, you know, live for two hours, and so so we're gonna do a lot of pretty cool stuff, and we're covering a lot of different topics, both on the cultural side, like you know how to fail fast, learn fast, don't fail twice for the same reason, all the way to like, you know. Technical subjects like Kubernetes, containers, service mesh, GitOps, you know, all the way to acquisition best practices on how to buy agile to be an agile end to end organization, not not a waterfall, water agile full organization. You know, so so we're, we're bringing a lot of great expertise and a lot, a lot of great guests too. So it's going to be fun.
1: Yeah. yeah and uh, I'm not going to give up on reversing that either. So you can, you, you'll be uh, hearing from me frequently. Question about you know you focus on China as as you should from an advanced technology point of view. You look at quantum AI and I mean AI and uh, machine learning. I assume you think they they definitely have the lead in AI and machine learning, in spite of what our government would like us to believe and some media experts that claim that we're still leading in AI, which makes me laugh. But on the quantum side. Do you have any insight into kind of where they are and how much out in front of us they are, and what we need to do to catch up?
0: Yeah, and first let me let me tell you why you know those people are often wrong saying that uh, China is is behind us. Uh, I think what people don't realize is the fact that Americans' companies are doing pretty well, and sometimes it's true that we are ahead of China on the commercial side, right? But what what we don't realize is that China obviously mandate company companies to do business with the CCP directly. So they have the best of breed of China. And because we're often stupid enough, we also let them steal our secrets and, and steal a lot of the yeah. US data as well.
1: Right.
0: So the CCP ends up having a much more comprehensive capability on the military side than we do. To compare, of course, with the US, some American companies are leading, but they refuse to work with the DoD and and the government, and so we don't have access to the technology, so we're so far behind. So if it was comparing commercial to commercial, I think the U.S. will win. You know, at least it would be harder to compare. Uh, but when you compare the the government side and the particularly the, the the military side, I think it's no brainer that we're we're so far behind. You know, China created the the Shanghai Data Exchange back in 2016 to uh, do a some sort of a stock exchange for data, right? convinced enough american and european companies are stupid enough to sell the data on the exchange and of course the ccp gets a free copy of the data every time there's a transaction being made we, meanwhile you know we we have you know congress and people allegedly representing us don't don't even know yet at least 50 or 50% of them don't know how to turn on their phone you know so they they didn't even understand yet the importance of data and the ai piece to that and then you see you know, Congress working on like you know creating some type of ability to create to to hire AI talent for DOD, right, with special pay, but they forget we don't have a cloud, we don't have software, we don't have data basics. They just think AI is magical is just gonna come and magically solve all the foundational problems we have in networking and laptops and you know all the the stuff that every company on the planet can can buy for for a buck, you know. And so that's that's concerning, right? And so I think. It's very clear to me that uh, we're very far behind, uh, particularly in AI, hypersonic, quantum as well. Quantum, uh, you know, I can tell you, they don't disclose much in China, but from what I've been able to gather, there's no doubt that they are much ahead of us. Uh, the government is barely doing anything. First of all, with quantum, NIST just released, you know, their quantum-proof uh, crypto uh, within a, a week. A couple of them were were already hacked. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> You know, it's just mind boggling to me. You know how pathetic that was after a week. You know, all it took is a week with a single core. You know, laptop. You know, nothing fancy. You know, Hmm. Uh, so we're just so far behind. It's uh, it's a little mind boggling. You know, I wonder if it's just you know the complacency, the incompetence, the silos. You know, but it's pretty bad overall, and we're not doing right by the taxpayer and our citizen. You know, we're spending a lot of money for very little. Outcomes, and I I feel like if if the taxpayer knew how much money gets wasted and people get away with it with zero consequences, right, wasting billions of taxpayer money, not just millions, billions of taxpayer money every year, I would assume people would be pretty upset about it.
1: You would think so. I, uh, you, you having spent all that time in the service, in those agencies, would certainly know way better than. My speculation would be, but and if you don't, then that's even equally more more frightening than the having. You know, the, yeah, we've you, we, seen it everywhere. Yeah, no we've kidding. Seen it. Yeah. yeah,
0: I remember my first week where we started to do some uh, prototyping, and I was trying to understand the cost. And so, what I what I would see cost fifty thousand bucks on the commercial side will be half a million duty. Yeah, so ten times the cost. And seven times slower, right? So you're paying more to get, you know, less speed. It's just mind-boggling. Yeah,
1: yeah well, we <laughs> got to put an end to the trail here, which appears to sort of endlessly lay out in front of us. And we, you and I have talked about not being able to afford to let this happen the way it's happening. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how we're going to do that exactly, but I know that education is a big part of that. So even that you have to, you know, kind of figure out how to force on people. Uh, even within the the cybersecurity space, because what's happened so far isn't working either, right? In education, we're very certification-focused, very certification-centric, not much uh, durable skills beyond that. Right. And when everything you teach is perishable and it's targeted toward a piece of, you know, a stamp or a badge or a piece of paper, then you're probably doomed to fail.
0: I was on the board of some certification. I was always pushing, you know, these, the certification, that just you you get to pass. You know when you hit seventy percent, and it's uh, you know, A, B, C questions, and you just get lucky. You know you pass. It's just there's no hands on anything, right? So you can literally read a book and pass the certification, and know nothing about cyber. You know nothing. Um, yeah. And never touch up. Uh, you know any system whatsoever. You know it's 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 still a little scary. You know that's how we. We test people, and and more importantly, that's how we end up also don't selecting people we hire. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. When I was at DHS, I applied uh, after being in a very senior role. I was in the role, and I applied to gs 15 jobs just to see, you know, what, what the process looked like. Right, so I went to the USA Job beautiful website, and I applied to uh to a few, you know, cyber jobs. You know, I'm way overqualified, but you know just to see what the process was like out of 150 jobs i applied to i got picked for zero <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's just you know it tells you all you need to know you know I, I didn't check the boxes you know because i don't have a degree i had certificates but you know i would argue they're useless i don't know if i even made it to people that could actually see my resume and see why I was because it's almost funny right the the chief architect of DHS getting passed for GS fifteen jobs, kind of you know people should wake up, but but no you know so.
1: Yeah, that one is not on my list to fix, but we have a lot of others, and so uh, there won't be a as shortage as of work. That's for sure, no doubt. All right, Nick. Listen, I'm sensitive uh, as I always am at the clock here, and I think we're we've pushed beyond our limits. So uh, as fascinating as it's been, and I mean that. I want to uh, bring you back in a, in a couple of three months just to kind of see where things are in terms of progress for you personally, as well as for our endeavors in education. And hopefully there's still a Ukraine and a Russia at that time, and we'll have much more to talk about. But in the meantime, thank you for uh, taking time out of your schedule to join us today. It was uh, illuminating, I think.
0: No, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
1: Sure. We'll, as I said, do it again. And thank you to our audience for spending 40 or so minutes with us uh, again and uh, this week. And hopefully it, uh, you did take get some takeaways here that are interesting and can help you with your perspective on what's going on in cybersecurity. Until next time, I'm Steve King, your host, signing off.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.